0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ohio and Podcast Network. Craig Shop here with George Thomas, our Akron Beacon Journal film critic. Also does some other things for the Beacon Journal, some sports, but we are talking movies with George. That's uh, what I like to talk about with George. And we have some uh, big ones here, some big, you know, uh, holiday blockbuster releases. A couple of uh, eh, not so great box office returns on a couple of these big movies, but the first one opens up this weekend, Violent Night, George. I know you're a big Scrooge and you're bah humbugging the Christmas spirit of movies, but this might be right up your alley, being a diehard fan and, and saying Die Hard's a Christmas movie. So you must
1: have enjoyed mm-hmm. Violent Night, did you? I enjoyed it more than I should have. Okay, well, I hey, mean, wrong with that. this is basically Santa as as John McClane, right? With a little Home Alone thrown in from the cute little girl that he basically is trying to rescue from Home Invaders. Right. Um, it's crass. It's crude. Mm-hmm. I mean, you. going back to Bad Santa, you know, that was kind right. of jarring seeing and hearing Santa Claus, quote unquote, Santa Claus, drop F-bombs left and right, swill booze like it's water, Right, it basically, uh, basically act like a Chihuahua in heat. Yeah, on on film. Well, you know, when when it's the real Santa, and, and David David <laughs> Harbor is playing the real Santa. Yes. <laughs> dropping those f bombs, it's it's a bit jarring. Yeah, <laughs> I, can jarring. I can see that. And you know he. he David Harbour is the reason to see, see the film. And that, that that brief plot synopsis I gave you, that's basically it. I mean, he... Um, so how does Santa Claus go from this
0: jovial spirit to getting involved in, uh, you know, sort of the butt-kicking variety? I mean, what, what compels him to get involved into this? And what compels the bad guys to involve Santa Claus in this?
1: Santa's a cynic. Okay, I mean, you know, you, you open them, the movie opens Santa sitting at a bar, choking down a beer on Christmas Eve, talking about how selfish and bratty kids are. You yeah. <laughs> know, and, and that's where the last starts because his descriptions, the writing for, for those descriptions, is so off the wall, manic. I don't know the best word to describe yeah. it, but you, you you take those words in, and it's like, yeah, I, you know, I know kids like that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, he, he he chugs his beer. He goes about his business, and one of the, his first stops after chugging a beer is the home of a a, a billionaire family, um, the Lightstone family, um, the matriarch is, for lack of a better term, just as vulgar as Santa. (laughs) She's greedy, played wonderfully by Beverly D'Angelo, which Mm -hmm. is a bit strange given her connection to Christmas.
0: (laughs) True, yeah, with Christmas vacation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, Santa stumbles in just as home invaders are coming to rip her off of $300 Three hundred million dollars. They know she has in a vault in her house. Okay, it's not subtle. I mean, for a Christmas movie, the violence is off the chart, graphic. Right. Um, the language, same way, and it can be downright flipping funny.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: it but, sounds like it's, it's a good
0: palate cleanser for what we normally get with Christmas movies. They're normally rom-coms or you know families struggling at christmas time where they're trying to like give the perfect christmas but maybe this is one of those is it is it kind of something that you like i mean as a nice change of pace i know we've talked a, a little bit about christmas movies not being your favorite but is it is it sort of refreshing to see something more in line with like bad santa and die hard
1: over the years, I've written a couple stories listing untraditional or non-traditional Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. This falls firmly into that wheelhouse, and I have little problem with it. You know, yeah. I love Bad Santa, the first Bad Santa, mm-hmm. because it basically lampooned crass commercialism. Yeah. And it's very hard. That's what that movie was about. The Catholic League took me to task for liking that movie. Oh. Um sent out a press release on it as a
0: matter of fact. Really? Wow, Georgie Troublemaker.
1: Um, this is a satire of, of action films in general.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: the cutesy kids films like Home Alone with the booby traps. Mm-hmm. And there are some really graphic... <laughs> <laughs> movie traps in this film um, and I have no problem with any of that because eventually it turns around and it gets into the spirit of the season yeah it, it, it brings it all home and that's that's why despite the over-the-top feel to it with violence and language you mm-hmm. know I can give this movie a pass. Because I'm sitting there, I'm not thinking about it, I'm laughing. And I'm sure yeah. that's all director the director wanted.
0: Well, overall, I mean, uh, does this get you into the uh, sort of, I guess, a morbid Christmas
1: spirit? No, because I know what to expect. Everybody's been <laughs> saying Santa's diehard all along. Santa's Die Hard yeah. Yeah, and Rambo and all those other action heroes, you anything know. Schwarzenegger's ever played, all rolled into one. And he, he, he does so reluctantly. So, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, I could, okay. I could have no problem with it. All right. Well, I mean,
0: uh, it sounds like even though you kind of knew what to expect going into it, it, it met expectations, I'm, I'm
1: taking it. I mean, you know, overall, what's your final grade? I gave it a B, but I had no expectations. I'm like, okay, here we go. L- let's see what this ride is like yeah so
0: all right well we'll have to I'll have to talk my wife into going to see it even though she's not really into the vulgarities and the uh you know disturbing action but we'll see you know well it's a christmas movie we we have an agreement that we're watching christmas movies so maybe that'll be on our list
1: you're gonna make her watch die hard <laughs> well i
0: might i mean i don't know we watched we we watched uh well you know might as well bring it up while we're on the subject we did watch a Christmas story, Christmas, since last we spoke, and or maybe we, maybe I mentioned it to you last time, but we actually it was actually not bad, George. I have to say, it was actually a pretty solid sequel, as unnecessary as it may be.
1: Yeah, well, I for for someone who doesn't like the original, I wasn't about to endure that one. So, I understand, understandable.
0: Well, one one movie that I think everybody's probably excited about, at least uh, movie fans alike. Uh, I'm sure you probably were excited knowing going into this one. The Fablemans, the semi autobiographical movie, Steven Spielberg sort of uh, directing himself in a way as he uh, you know makes a, a very personal movie. I think the last time he really made a super personal movie like this was maybe Munich, which I love as my one of my favorite Spielberg movies.
1: Um, tell us a little bit about The Fablemans. I think you covered it all. Okay. I mean, and, and, <laughs> in, in, in all sincerity, I mean, yeah. you know, you say semi-autobiographical. Semi-autobi- Spielberg has said basically with a couple of minor tweaks, it's autobiographical. Okay. I mean, his parents apparently have bugged him to make this movie for years. Really? Yeah. Alive, And he, he finally got to it. I haven't heard... Or read why he finally got to it. But it's weird in that it's it's a film that that shows his love of cinema and filmmaking through the lens of his parents disintegrating relationship. His parents mm-hmm. were divorced. And you know, it helps you the movie presents a couple Spielberg Spielbergian truths like the camera's lens never lies
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, the a camera's lens can detect detect the truth the the camera's lens can also manipulate
0: mm-hmm.
1: for for good or bad and you know we're given a rumination on cinema and we're given this touching story about how he grew up and how his camera, Basically, caught the uh, chasm that existed between his parents now as they made their way from New Jersey to Phoenix to California and the realization that you know they're not necessarily meant to be together for the rest of their lives. Scott's great performances, oddly enough, though, the best performance may come from one of the, the cast members who was in the film the least, uh, Judd Hirsch.
0: Oh yeah. Always who plays, great.
1: Who plays the eccentric Jewish uncle that you think is gonna be a stereotype, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's he's he's on screen for about eight or nine minutes. I think it's enough for him to get a, a best supporting Oscar nomination, mm-hmm. in those eight or nine minutes, he distills the character, distills the meaning of art, what it means, and why. Why someone like Steve, the Steven Spielberg character should follow his dreams instead of following what his father once, and his father viewed filmmaking as a hobby. Mm. <laughs> Steven Spielberg is now worth $4 billion yeah. a heck of a hobby.
0: Very nice hobby, yes.
1: Yeah, he viewed it as a hobby, and his father was a genius in the electronics
0: industry.
1: Mm. So you, you could see how he would, why he would feel that way. Now, there's nothing bad to say about this movie, okay. I got one thing, okay. It's a little bit too long, but I can get over that. It's a Spielberg movie, mm-hmm. and there is a great, great um scene at the end where uh Spielberg on a lot of CBS as he's st- starting or interviewing with the uh producer of Hogan's Heroes gets to meet one of his uh. Directing Idols. And that's intimidating for the character, but it's absolutely hilarious for us. <laughs> Wonderful film. It's Spielberg. You know it's shot well.
0: Damn.
1: And and it's probably going to be a big, it's really big in the Oscar conversation. Uh, I don't know if it would be in a normal year because it is so intimate and so personal. You know what I mean? Right. You don't. it doesn't have that aspect.
0: Grandiose broad
1: what? Oscars are broad and right. grandiose, yeah, yeah. But in a year when uh Bones and all is getting touted in that regard, <laughs> yes, I will take the Fablemans and say, oh. Yeah, it's got Oscar pedigree,
0: yeah. Well, and I, I think you know, you, you probably hit the nail on the head. It's Spielberg, yeah, this is the second straight sort of box office not so good for Spielberg, but at the end of the day, you know, I don't, Steven Spielberg does not care that West Side Story or the Fable Men's has bombed at the box office because he has made a career of movies that allows him to, to go to a studio and say, I'm Steven Spielberg. I want to do X, Y, or Z. Give me the money I want. Let me do what I want with it. And you're going to get at least some award recognition, and yeah, you know, you want to make money, but he could always go back into his back pocket and make a Ready Player One or a Minority Report or whatever he needs to do. I mean, he's already working on uh, like a, 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 I believe it's like a Frank Bullet, you know, movie with Bradley. Yeah.
1: Páginas- Reimagination of it, I think, is I think kind mind- a of
0: Yeah, so well, you know, I, that's that's got some star potential with Bradley Cooper attached. You know, you might be able to you know get a good box office swing out of that but you know i'm glad that spielberg at, at this point in his career he's made so many films he's made so much money he he should be able to do whatever he feels like doing
1: i don't think he even cares anymore it's yeah. like i'm going to how many film i'm not, not to say all of his films were simply just box office fodder cuz they weren't there's some right. no element of of his personality imprinted there. However, after the track record he has, how does how does he not have carte blanche for the yeah. rest of his life to do anything he wants to do? I mean, when, when, he he doesn't even necessarily have to make movies anymore, right? He retired, right. and he's right at this at this stage of the game. He's doing it for fun, and I can yeah. respect that. I really yeah. can. Um, but even still, he's still he's making
0: like West Side Story was well well received. Even you know whether people saw it or not doesn't really matter. People still thought it was a very I mean for all the bad things that are said about remakes or reimaginations of of movies or sequels or prequels, like he made a movie that people thought was great and it was an Oscar nominated film. And here with the Fablemans, he's able to make a a very personal and intimate film about his life and, you know, sort of the the good and bad that goes along with that upbringing. I mean, these are the kinds of movies I want to see Spielberg make. I don't need to see him make Jurassic Park again or, you know, Indiana Jones again.
1: I I don't even need to see Ready Player Two. No, I don't, you
0: know, I mean, yeah, I agree there. I mean, I like Ready Player One probably more than most people did. I like it. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, does Spielberg do need to make it? No, he could probably, you know, it seems like James Mangold is sort of his understudy, if you will. He's making the next Indiana Jones movie. So I'd rather see Spielberg say, I want to make movies like The Fable Men's or take chances like with Minor- Minority Report or certainly with Munich, a movie that I loved a lot. And and just kind of do what he wants to do as he rides out his career, even though he's like like Martin Scorsese, they're in their swan song of their lives, but they're still making great films. Do you think?
1: And, and I I interviewed him once or twice, twice, and I the question was never really brought up. I interviewed him for Saving Private Ryan and the Minority Report, and you know, since those, I've always wondered if he ever felt boxed in by by his success you know what i mean by delivering these event movies yeah and did did he ever feel like he was obligated to continue that now it's just you know what like we said he's going to do what he wants to do and he's he's finally free yeah. Of of those obligations, because personally, I think Ready Player One, as much as as much block blockbuster credit as it had, I think he did that one simply because it was fun, and it was yeah. it, it was it was challenging for him to do given the new technology.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he probably felt boxed in, maybe, and and look, you know, whether you like it or not you know, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was probably one of those movies where it was probably, I don't know if it was one that he didn't want to do that he just had to do or the studio's like, no, no, you got to make this or whatever. I mean, you know, he had the, you know, Kate Blanchett and, you know, a, a talented cast. It maybe just wasn't as impactful as the previous trilogy. But, you know, I think maybe that was the last time I really felt like, he made a movie that he probably didn't really care to make, but he made it because he got a good paycheck and maybe like, Oh, you know, I'd like to explore Indiana Jones one more time just for the hell of it, because who knows how much more filmmaking I'm going to do. You know I mean? at, At the end of the day, you just never know when your time's up, but you know, since then, you know, he's obviously, you know, Lincoln war horse, you know, the bridge of spies, the post, but then he also did the BFG and, you know, West Side Story. So he's kind of—I mean—he's just a versatile filmmaker, probably one of the most versatile filmmakers of all time. That he can just dive into any genre he wants, and whether he's boxed, you know, you could have you could have made the argument that Minority Report would be one of those like you're boxed in, you have to make some sci-fi epic, but then it's a risky, take chance kind of movie, and it and it, it has ideas, and it's not just some you know boring science fiction movie it's real interesting science fiction and real you know ethical and moral dilemma on on you know the precogs and you know controlling crime and and things like that that in some ways was sort of ahead of its time if you watch a movie like that nowadays you might wonder would we be better off or not better off with you know precogs you know sending out those balls to see who should be arrested for a potential crime you know so it's it was a, a very interesting film and that's one of those, you know, is an expanded short story from Philip K. Dick that you could have probably boxed him in and said, yeah, we want you to make a movie, Stephen, but we want you to make it more action and less, you know, a little bit more brawn than brain. But he, he decided to make what he made. And, you know, it was a great film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do Do you think it matters? I mean, you know, you obviously you said, you know, you'd like to see him get carte blanche. And I think he probably gets that. I mean, you know, Clint Eastwood kind of gets that with Warner Brothers, where he just gets whatever the money he gets, and then he can go make whatever he wants. I would imagine, do you think like having another box office bomb like the Men's, which is already going to go on video on demand here in a couple of weeks, do you think that he might lose, not, not get reined in a little bit, but maybe not get
1: just whatever he wants to make a project. I think he can chalk his two quote-unquote bombs up to the pandemic. Yeah. That's what that's what I think. And whether or not we want to admit it, we're still kind of there in the pandemic where the audience oh, yeah. Isn't, yeah. Isn't, isn't back fully. And I, I think he gets the benefit of the of the doubt because of that.
0: Sure, right. I I completely agree. And um, you know I I've never really cared about the box office when it comes to movies. If it, you know good movies are good movies, bad movies are bad movies. But you know you just don't want to see anything happen to where it's like oh well Spielberg's not going to be able to make his passion project that might be a little bit bloated budget wise and you know whatever.
1: Yeah, he's always gonna be able to make his passion project.
0: As he should, no matter how old he is or what state of mind he is in. He he needs to just give him a just give him something, give him a camera, give him Tony Kushner writing a screenplay, and uh, he'll be in good shape probably. So although we did talk about the bombing of the fable men's at the box office, another box office bomb, sort of a surprise because we're talking Disney here, George, strange world a huge box office bomb. Is it a bad or good movie? What are we talking about here with, with Disney's newest, you know, their usual Thanksgiving-y, you know, November release schedule?
1: It's no Encanto. Okay. Yeah. Um, Is it bad? No, I'm see. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back in my Disney data bank Mm -hmm. and remember an animated film that was just, there can you think of one it's just, it just exists there's nothing mm. i you know with my age i go back to i, I can say the black Cauldron, i guess yeah something like that but it's like it's just there the effort is is, is there but there's no spark there i mean Maybe after 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 seeing this movie, um, it was responsible for to- Bob Chaffick being. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's that was the case? No, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I. It just. It's for Disney, for this time of year. There's certain expectations,
0: yeah.
1: and. There, there was word that animation wasn't at the top of Chapik's list as far as priorities. Right. When animation made Walt Disney Studios, for the most part. And if that was the case, it, sh- it really shows in this film. Looks gorgeous. I don't even have a problem with the premise, which is about the family friction in a family of explorers. It's got nice homages to filmmaking past with Journey to the Center of the Earth. I don't know if you ever saw um, The Fantastic Journey. It, It pays homage to films like those. It's just, there is, it's missing magic. I mean... It's not a musical, so you're not gonna get the cutesy songs. Okay. Um and it's 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 that's what it it's is. There I yeah. I mean you know,
0: it's it's funny because you know, I, I, I think that I probably liked Lightyear more than you did. You did. Um But I also probably, and I also probably like Turning Red even more than you do. I actually really loved Turning Red and was sad that it was not one of those theatrical releases, much like Soul, I wish would have been a a theatrical cut as well. But I mean, do you think that Disney slash Disney Pixar is in sort of a rut right now? I mean, based on this year, I mean, I think you liked Turning Red. It just maybe wasn't your cup of
1: tea. You know what? Let, let, let's go back to my original statement about Bob Chapic. Okay, you know, he, at the beginning of the pandemic, or partially way through, they they sent Soul directly to Disney Plus mm-hmm. last year. Earlier this year, they sent Turning Red directly to Disney Plus. Both yeah. Pixar films, yeah. both gorgeous films, and both were especially Soul were well-received. Yeah. So maybe those decisions are part of the reason um, he's out, because ultimately those films didn't spike uh, Disney Plus subscriptions the way they thought they would, to the point where streaming, as they're calling it, under a huge, huge umbrella, lost one point five billion dollars, and he was trying to shuffle, shuffle dollars around, um, and in the ledgers between companies. Um, so, yeah I think maybe disrespect for animation came back to haunt him, mm-hmm. and I love Soul. You know that.
0: Oh yeah, I love Soul. It was fantastic
1: and it's curious that for strange world i i didn't even know anything about this movie until Mm. the week of the screening the critic screening right i knew it existed that's all i knew you didn't see the usual dizzy disney marketing push behind this movie right and considering it's a holiday tentpole that is very strange for that company I think
0: one of the biggest problems with the Disney and Pixar brand is over the years they, I mean, they had that great run, and I'm looking at it right now where you had, you know, uh, Cars was well received, Ratatouille was a great movie, Wall-E was fantastic, Up was amazing. Obviously, you went back to the well with Toy Story three, but they got into this, this situation where they were making these incredibly unique and original movies, but they weren't really making money off of them you know, WALL-E didn't have this mega box office return, Up had a good, but these movies weren't making, like, Toy Story dumb money, and I think what happened was, in that time, they thought, well, we got to be a little bit more measured with how unique and creative and and out there we're going to be, and they decided, let's just sequel it up, so, you you know, you had a Monsters, Inc. sequel, you had Three Cars movies, you had Finding Nemo sequels, you had, Frozen, you had all these sequels, instead of continuing this line of creativity, where even if movies like Brave weren't quite up to the Pixar level, they were still pretty good movies, and I think they they lost some of that creativity, and they got scared, and I think they've sort of ushered in this new era of children who don't really care for the new stuff, they just want to see Toy Story 12, or... Finding Dory's cousin, you know what I mean. They just want to see sequels because that's what they grew up on. Instead of you, you know, new and original content. And maybe you know, Soul was certainly a movie that I thought would have found an audience in theaters. And you know, it was a heavy subject. Don't get me wrong, but so was Inside Out, and Inside Out was pretty popular. And like, Turning Red was a was an interesting subject matter. And, and maybe they're just saying. We're just waiting for the next Frozen movie that we can br- bring up to the table. We can Let's bring out the 20th Toy Story if we have to. Let's make a sequel to Ratatouille or whatever it may be. I feel like they've lost that creativity because they weren't making the kind of money they thought they were going to make with WALL-E and all these other movies that were getting well-received from critics and Oscar voters, and they just weren't getting the box office return with that. What do you think about that?
1: Well, notice notice the first thing that Iger said when he came back last week. First thing he said is, basically, we have to trust our creatives and our storytellers. That the magic was missing. Yeah, that's that's one of the first things. So he recognizes the problem. So I think you hit it right right on the head. But it, by the same token. I have less of a problem with a Toy Story sequel until you get to Toy Story 4. Mm -hmm. I have less of a problem with those. And with the exception of Lightyear. I have have less of a problem with those than I do some of the other sequels. Um, I think uh, Frozen... And its success shocked the heck out of them.
0: I, oh yeah, yeah.
1: I don't think they knew what they had.
0: They didn't. I don't so, think they did. I don't think anybody knew. We. I remember my wife and I were sort of with like within our first year or so of dating when we saw the the previews for Frozen, and at the time it was just Olaf and Sven having a little cat and mouse game between the the carrot, and I, I, we were looking at each other and I'm like, this looks like the dumbest movie ever. And then you fast forward six months after the teaser, and we go to the theater. And it's, it's a, you know, I know I liked it a lot more than you did, but it's, it's, it's an engaging movie, great, great songs. And it, it was a total hit, unexpected. It had to have been unexpected.
1: Well, and, in and, and because it was unexpected, what happened? You get a, a probably a sequel, sequel that there was no plan for. You know what yeah. I mean? zero
0: came out six yeah six years later too i mean frozen 2 came out like five or six years later which meant they had no plans to make that a franchise and obviously the the sequel didn't really do as well it wasn't as good and it didn't do as well at the box office so we haven't seen any peeps out of i mean maybe they're making frozen 3 i have no clue but i don't think that's in the in the the hopper right now
1: i hope not (laughs) I really hope not
0: I would doubt it I would I would probably doubt it although okay so I'm looking at sort of their their next you know their next November release which is obviously their Walt Disney owns the month of November Thanksgiving time is called wish um, don't know anything about it but that's what the next movie is that's coming out next year so maybe it'll be but then they also have inside out too yeah. that's coming out in 2024 which you know look i love inside out but do you really need to go to that well like six seven eight nine years later i just don't
1: understand that see i i another one that you like more than i do i mean <laughs> i don't know you know inside out to me was a, a rip off of herman's head so <laughs> okay a 19, i for those who don't know herman's head was a 19 late 1980s fox television series comedy one of their first if i'm not mistaken and they just made inside out for yeah
0: for
1: kids but um
0: yeah well, I I, I I guess I misspoke when I said that Frozen two didn't do all that well. It did make one point four billion dollars, and it outgrossed the really? original. it did. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the box office. This is this is I think kind of validates my earlier point. This is the highest grossing. I'm guessing they're kind of encapsulating Disney and and Pixar movies together, which the Lion King live action, which was just whatever, made one point six billion. Frozen 2 is at number two, then Frozen, then Incredibles 2, then Toy Story 4, Toy Story 3, Finding Dory, Zootopia, the 94 version of Lion King, and then Finding, Finding Nemo. So if you look at that list, that is a list of sequels and prequels and live action remakes. It's, it's very few of those top 10 are the legitimate, I mean, Zootopia is probably the biggest surprise there, to be honest with you because that was a movie i think they dumped out in the spring and didn't even really have this you know the big november expectations and then of course the lion king from 94 made a, a ton of money which but other than frozen everyone you know all seven of those 10 movies are sequels or prequels or remakes or whatever yeah,
1: and and that's that's the rut they're in i mean i don't need to see any more... I shouldn't say any more. I don't need to see a lot more sequels. Yeah. Period. I mean, no one expected... I mean, they probably didn't expect Toy Story to do what it did. But right. say, back then, Pixar had a distribution deal with Disney. And that right. was it. So they didn't earn, own the studio. Yeah. I... Who knows what Pixar was thinking back then,
0: right? But they've also went to the well more than just a sequel. I mean they've they've made four movies with Toy Story four coming out in twenty nineteen. So it's it's not like, oh well, we didn't know what we had on our hands, so we had to make a sequel. Well, they've made four Toy Story movies and they've spread them out well over twenty years. You
1: know, well over twenty years and. In... You could see the wear and tear on that franchise with the fourth one, mm-hmm. yeah, which really bothered me because Toy Story three ended on such a perfect note. It really did. I think it ticked me off the fact that they were going back to the well, yeah, one more time.
0: Yeah, such an odd, such an odd franchise. You know, they go ninety, what ninety five and then 99 for Toy Story 2 and then 2010 for Toy Story 3 and then 2019 for Toy Story 4 so kind of a herky jerky franchise there
1: now yeah, well, the films take a while to produce and they do they do
0: yeah
1: it's just that last one i didn't need just like i didn't need the cars movies other than Paul Newman playing a beat-up old Sedan. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, I, there, there's some appreciation for Cars 1, but yeah, the, the sequel's not really needed. So, All right, George. Well, as always, we appreciate. Uh, next week, I think we're going to talk about a couple of uh, possible Oscar contenders.
1: Uh, the Whale? The Whale. I... Not, I... I haven't seen it and I don't know if I'll have a screener before then. Okay. The screening screening for that was last night and the clips oh, right. played.
0: That's right. Well, Empire of Light, though, right? Would is it is that a for sure or
1: Oh, I've seen it. Okay. I've I've definitely seen it. Okay.
0: Well, maybe we uh since we're in the holiday spirit now with violent night, maybe we'll uh, reveal our our five favorite Christmas
1: movies. That would be fun. Okay. Especially considering he's consider me a Scrooge, so you know.
0: Well, you know, I mean, you don't like a Christmas story, you don't like Christmas vacation, you. I don't know. What do you like? We'll find out. You know, I'm assuming we're going to see some, you know, some of those pedigree. It's a Wonderful Life, you know, caliber films, which I I would expect from you, and that's great because they deserve to be on that list. But kind of intrigued to see how your list rounds out. Maybe Violent Night will be on it.
1: Maybe. Maybe okay, but I definitely don't get the popularity of Christmas vacation.
0: <laughs> I know we've talked about this before. All right, George. Well, we will get back at it next week and uh, have a, a very special uh, Christmas edition, so to speak, of the uh, of the show.
1: All right, sir.
0: All right. Until then, we will uh, see y'all next week.
1: Later. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast, based on the work from our book.